So this week, we're going to look at fresh eyes. I don't know about you, but when I met Jesus, He changed me. He gave me a new vision for my life. God has a plan and a purpose for His people. A plan to prosper you and not to bring harm to you. But a part of that is you letting Him do eye surgery on you. Hear me. You can't continue looking at things like you did before you met Jesus. You need an overhaul. You need to see things with God's eyes. And, and honestly, if you're looking at things in the natural every day, you're already at a loss. But if you consider asking the Master, Lord, give me your eyes. Help me to see the things as you see them. When you go to Him with a prayer like that, a genuine prayer like that, you know what's going to happen? He's going to do it. Which, hear this part, because honestly, sometimes it hurts. He lets you see pain in other people. You know, when we're in the natural, what do we often do? We're like this all the time. You know. If I had my cell phone, I'd just be looking at it, because this is everybody today. They're going through life like this. What am I looking at? Me, 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 me. What do I have to do? What are my problems? What are my issues? When you come to God and you say, give me your eyes, what does he do? Look out, Norm. Look out. Get your face out of that Facebook. Get your face out of your phone. And look at the hurt. But he also encourages us. Little things. How many can say amen? You know what I'm talking about. You go outside and you see that, that sunrise in the morning. And it's absolutely breathtaking. No one could paint a picture as beautiful as some of those sunrises that we've seen from this, this property. And it's God just saying, I love you. I did this for you. Or the other day we were going through uh, Traverse City and looking along the banks and where the water had come up and was splashing over, and it was forming into ice. It was like, you know, in 10 minutes, that's going to look different. But right now, it looks amazing, and God did that for us. You ever think like that? He gives you His eyes. And He, he allows you, when you look in the mirror, He allows you to see, not that horrible, broken-down person that you were before Jesus. But He allows you to see the child of God that you become, that prince or princess that you are in Christ. So when you look in the mirror, look in it with God's eyes. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. When I look at that, man, it's not that old guy that I despised. But it's Norm. Born again. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Changed. And God can use me as a result. And that's what He wants to do with each one of us. 
We need God's, eye, God's eyes. We need to be able to put ourselves in his place. We need to be able to ask the questions like, what would God do in this situation? Or what would Jesus do? You know, somebody should come up with a bracelet or something. Right? I mean, that, that's, what, a decade old, two decades, whatever that came out. But it's still valid today. When you have God's eyes, you come into situations and you, you can't help but think, all right, what would Jesus do here? All of us should ask that question. And when He gives you those fresh eyes, you begin to ask those questions. And when you look at Scripture, it comes alive with His eyes. As we begin this series, Fresh Eyes, Fresh Heart, Fresh Start, I want to start by looking at some real-life Bible characters that God used in miraculous and mighty ways to carry out His kingdom plans. And, you know, Jesus prayed this. Put it up behind me. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what He told us to pray. We are here to usher heaven onto earth as followers of Christ, as believers in Jesus. That's our job, to prepare for His return. Just like John the Baptist did for Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's our job. Behold, the Lamb of God is going to return for His church. And I believe we're going to be taken up in what we call the rapture in the church. In the twinkling of an eye, in that nanosecond. Taken up before the tribulation, the great tribulation, breaks loose on this planet. Twenty years ago, I thought it was bad. Twenty years later, I think it's a lot worse. I didn't think it could get worse. But it has. I believe we're going to be saved from that. So I want to look at three men today. First, we're going to look at a man who literally glowed with the glory of God. How many would like to do that once in a while? You can. Yet, <laughs> this is the irony, yet people mistook that glow and thought that he represented the evil one. Second, we're going to look at a man who started out as an enemy of God, but then God gave him fresh eyes and he began to see as God saw. And he began to do the miraculous. But not until he went through a pretty severe situation and we'll get to that in a minute finally we're going to look at a believer who was at first convinced that one of the lord's anointed was wicked and evil and you know what sometimes if we're not careful we can try to identify somebody that god's using as an instrument of the devil we need to be really careful how we judge we really do who are we now, obviously, it should line up with the Scripture. Whatever you're seeing, 
That has to be our litmus test. But this man, the Lord told him, I want you to go and I want you to pray for this man. And he was like, uh-uh. Do you know who he is? He didn't see him with God's eyes. And we'll get to that in just a minute. So who are we starting with? Who knows? No. We're in the New Testament. Stephen, thank you. Let's go there. Uh, I hope you brought your Bibles or your smartphones or your smart wife or whatever. Um, we're going to look at Acts chapter 6 to begin with. and I'm going to move along, but I'm not going to put all the scriptures up. I'll highlight a few. Um, and I, I apologize, usually I do. But there's so many, I just didn't have the time to put them all up. So, Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, and this is all the NLT today when I do share this. I think we've already prayed. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings and discontent. Uh oh. How many know when you throw a bunch of Christians in the same room, there's usually rumblings and discontent? Don't understand it completely, but as a pastor, I can assure you it's true. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Well, that's a real issue. People need to eat. And, and maybe it was true, maybe it wasn't, I don't know. But this is what they ended up doing. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Now, how many know there's some real wisdom in this? We need everybody to participate. Everybody. And I know we're all busy. But somebody said this last week. We do a disservice to our people when we're constantly saying, Oh, I know you're too busy. You know what? Your priority should be God. And his kingdom, spreading the gospel, reaching the lost. If it isn't, then your priorities are misadjusted and you need to change that. Now I'm going to try to be careful how I say this, but yesterday I was out there and I had to clear the entrances because the snow drifts were so high that we couldn't open the doors on the back side of the building. You couldn't open them on the front side either because the snow plow had Shut them. It took me about two hours. And I'm not saying that to... I'm saying that because I should have been home studying for this message. I should have been home praying for this message, but instead, I was out there, and I don't mind doing work. But there are so many important things that need to happen. And we need everybody in the church to do their part. And I'm just asking, find something to do. Please. 
Enough said. Everyone liked this idea. No? Apparently not. This church is all like, I don't think I like that idea. And they chose the following. Here, here it is. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So what we see here is how there was infighting. The infant church, before it ever got off the ground, started to implode from the inside out. The solution, find the right men, find seven men who were respected in the community and filled with the Holy Spirit to take over these mundane jobs so that the apostles could go and do what they were called to do. My first Bible hero who I'd like to identify as having God eyes is Stephen. Note that he was also the first one appointed. And even though they said that the requirements were that they had to be respected and filled with the Holy Spirit, listen, he's the only one that said, Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. I, I highlighted that. He's the only one that they said that about. I find that interesting. The other six just kind of went unmentioned. And you don't really hear about them again. What did Stephen have? Faith? Could I carry it to the length of this message and say, did he have God eyes? I believe he did. He saw everything through the filter of God. Everything. And that didn't come until he was filled with his Holy Spirit. You and I, we need the Holy Spirit. In fact, you must be filled with God, the Holy Spirit, if you want to see as God sees. If you want to remain in the flesh, don't worry about it. But if you really want to get hold of what God sees, then you need to spend that time pressing and get filled with His Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, I could have shared a, a lot of other scriptures, but I chose this one. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to talk about singing and, and just rejoicing in Him. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what you want to do. Life doesn't beat you down when you're full of God's Spirit. The joy of the Lord is my strength, but that only comes when you spend time with Him and allow Him to impart His Spirit into you. Overflowing like rivers of living water coming out of our bellies. That's what God wants for us, for you. And everybody out there needs some of that. When you bump into somebody, it should spill off into them because you have been with the Master. And His Spirit, ooh, it can't be contained. That's what the tongues is all about. It can't be contained. 
steps for a Christian, and this is just a logical thing, but first, say it with me, admit that I'm a sinner. That's number one. You can't go any farther with Jesus until you get to that place. If you think you're all that, you can do all that, you just keep going on. You're going to be sorely disappointed someday. Number two, once you realize it, confess them to Jesus. Say, Lord, I know that you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. Number three, get baptized in water. Jesus said you must be born of water and of spirit. Get baptized in water. And that's your public confession of faith. And then third, and by the way, sometimes people get baptized in the Holy Spirit before they get baptized in water. It doesn't have to be in that order. In fact, there's two scriptural evidences of that in the, in the book of Acts. So it can go either way. It can be baptized in water, then baptized in the Holy Spirit, or baptized in the Holy Spirit, then in water. It doesn't matter. The fact is, just do it. Pretty simple? Yes, Pastor. Acts chapter 6, continuing. These men met the requirements, and by having them serve, it allowed the apostles to focus on what they were called to do, which was to spread the gospel. Verse 7, so God's message continued to spread. Did you hear that? Why? Because people found their place. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So here we have all of these new baby Christians running around, and the Jewish priests even started to pay attention. You know that this thing's real when people of other faith start, I need that. When people hang around Jesus, eventually they're going to realize they need that. Who is Jesus today? We are. You and I. When we're out there. That should make you somewhat sober when you think about How did I act yesterday? How did I treat my boss? How did I treat that employee that I had to work with? My friend who I take advantage of or I take for granted. How did I treat him or her last week? My sister, my brother, my mom or dad. How did I treat them? Would they have known they were with Jesus? Maybe not. You're awful quiet. When we look like Jesus, all kinds of people are going to get saved. I'll say that again. When we look like Jesus, all kinds of people are going to get saved. So here, after verse 7, all is good within the kingdom. People are getting saved left and right. Even the Jewish priests who were converted, the church was finally finding its rhythm. Nothing, nothing beats when you come in and everything goes right in a church. 
Brother, you know it, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, there, there was a cartoon or something that said, ride the wave, I think it was the Penguins, ride the wave, just ride the wave. Anyway, that's what you need to do when things are going right, because you know, it's not going to be long before things might not be going so right. Come on, it's called life, it's called humanity. Now, we don't know how much time elapsed between when Stepan was first appointed as a deacon until he was brought before the Sanhedrin, which you're going to read about here now. But it couldn't have been very long, just to say that, all right? Verse 8, a man full of God's grace and power. Stephan, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Now, just that right there. If you saw somebody out there healing the sick, raising the dead, what would you be saying about them? Whoa, right? Most of us probably, right? That's awesome! Man, if it was you, Michael, I'd be going, I want to hang with you, brother. You're doing something right. Man, God is just doing the miraculous through you. Always give God the glory, of course. But not these guys. One day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. There were, they were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen smoke, spoke. Not smoke. Listen, when God is with you, when God is with you, he will give you what to say. In fact, I put a scripture up here, Luke 12. Jesus told his disciples, when you're brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For what? The Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. He will fill your mouth. That's pretty cool. They could not compete with him. And they kind of turned against him in a way. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen. Wow. We see that today. In our politics. People trying to do the right thing. So what do they do? Hey, I don't want that guy who's going to serve righteousness, to serve God, to serve pro-life. I don't want them in there. So what do we do? Hey, let's get a bunch of people to lie and accuse them of this and that and the other thing. It happens every day because the enemy hates the people of God. It shouldn't surprise us, should it? This roused the people. They said, Stephen, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. The elders and the teachers of the religious law, they were furious. The Bible says they arrested Stephen and they brought him before the high council, which is also known as the Sanhedrin. The lying witnesses said, this man's always speaking about against the holy temple, and against the law of Moses. Why, we've even heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Did Jesus say that? He said what? 
This temple will be torn down, but in three days, I will rebuild it. And what did he say about Moses and the law? He said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. So again, these guys were doing what? Lying. The sad part is, they listened. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen. And <laughs> listen to this cool part. Because his face became as bright as an angel's. Wow. I would love to have a moment like that, but I'm not sure I'd like what follows. Let me ask you this. If, if you were questioning someone who you, you supposed was an enemy, they were against you, they were trying to undermine what you were doing, as you worked for God, and then all of a sudden, this dude's face starts glowing. What would you do? Do you think you might change your mind just maybe a little bit? Oh yeah, that's normal. You know what it did? It made him even angrier. Listen to this. When God is trying to speak to you. If you don't soften to the things of him, God, you will become hardened. Your heart will become hardened. If God is speaking to you today, maybe through this preacher, if you sit here and say, ah, what a bunch of nonsense, your heart is going to become hardened. Don't fool around when God's speaking to you. He put this man in their presence. He performed miracles, signs and wonders. He had the wisdom of Solomon. And yet, these men rejected his message because he didn't look like they thought he should. He didn't say what they thought he should say. God help us not to be like that. How many know religion can harden you? In every instance where Jesus rebukes, besides when Peter said, no, Lord, I won't let you, they were religious people, always. God doesn't want you to be religious. He wants you to be like Him. All the church is, is, it's an organization to help so that we can funnel things where it needs to go. Just like they did in the, in the book of Acts, sending people out. We've got, how many did they say? We've got 2,700, something like that, missionaries all over the world. Did you know the Assemblies of God is almost 70 million adherents? Mostly overseas. Why? Because we've sent missionaries. You and I. I've talked about that before. This is God's plan. It's what He meant when He said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
That means that you will participate in what's going on and get along. Everybody say that, get along. And get along as you do your part to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Every one of us should be doing that. Every single one of us. Now let's continue into chapter 7. Here we see Stephen is sharing with these lovely men. Then the high priest asked Stephen, he said, Are these accusations true? And this was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. What do you think he's trying to do there? Brothers and fathers. Look, we're the same, he was saying to them. You and I, we're cut from the same cloth. Up until Jesus, I was just like you guys. But I've seen a better way. And that's what he's about to share. It's going to get him in trouble. He says, our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham. So there again, our daddy way back was the same. All right? From verses 3 to 48, Stephen tries connecting with these men. Trying to to hit them right where they're at on their own. Listen, that's what all of us should do. You know, you don't walk into somebody that's sinning and go, Why, you sinner, you're going to hell. I'm, I'm not looking at you, Ron. I just, I was just looking. What do you think you're going to accomplish? Unless the Holy Spirit tells you to do that. No, you go in and, and you try to find some common ground. Look, we're a lot alike, man. You might even say something like, yeah, I used to be like this. <laughs> in a nice way. I used to be a drunken slob. <laughs> I remember those days. You're just laughing because you remember. And then I met Jesus. In a nutshell, that's what he's saying here. He wanted them to know they came from the same heritage. That he, he was a devout Jew that he'd studied. He knew the law. He knew the Scriptures, as all young boys would that were brought up in the Jewish heritage. But he changed. Here he goes through this, Abraham was their father, then Joseph was born, and God used him uh, to help Israel during the famine. Then Moses was born, and if you remember... uh, God had his mother put him in a basket and let him float down the river. How many mothers would do that? Wow. But the right woman was right around the bend, and she planned it that way, the original mom, the Hebrew mom. And and the Egyptian mother saw the baby and took him in and raised him in her home, trained him in, in the Egyptian culture for 40 years. And he goes through all of this about how he ended up killing an Egyptian for beating up one of his Hebrew brothers. And then he had to flee because they were aware or onto him. And for 40 years he was in the desert. He goes through all of this. The burning bush. 
This is a, there are several verses here, which I'm sparing you from, but you can go back and read this. And I wanted to jump in down here at uh, chapter 7, verse 44, and, and this is where he's talking about the tabernacle, how God had given the tabernacle to them and how David wanted to build a, a permanent place for it. And he said, but it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? The reason I, I put that in there, he's talking about all this history, and then all of a sudden, his whole tone and his tune changes. Have you ever been talking to somebody, everything's real calm, real, not common, real melancholy, real even-toned, and then all of a sudden, I'm not sure what happened here, to be honest with you. Verse 51, Acts 7. You stubborn people! All right, here's my thought. When he was watching them as he's sharing all this, they must have been sitting there going like, Oh, wait, that's here. <laughs> no. kidding. You are heathen, he said. Uncircumcised is what that means. At heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? Ask yourself that question. Are you resisting him? Name one prophet. Your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. Now, if you were sitting there, and you were these men in the Sanhedrin, <laughs> the Jewish leaders just as we suspected, were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. They shook their fists at him in rage. Scripture actually says, literally, they were grinding their teeth in, in anger. He ticked them off. I highly recommend, unless you're being led by the Spirit, not to find yourself in this situation. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven, saw the glory of God, saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand, and he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. What do you think that did for him? It only provoked him more. You know, when you're sharing the love of Jesus with people, look for clues. Sometimes this is the reaction you're going to get. You don't expect it, but it can happen. Because they don't want to know the truth, the truth that will set them free. They want to walk in their darkness. 
Notice what the Jewish leaders do next. This proves they didn't want to hear what God had to give them. They put their hands over their ears and began shouting. Can you picture this? They did not want to hear another word out of his mouth. To them, what he was saying was blasphemy. And it drove them crazy. They rushed him, dragged him out of the city, began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. We're going to get to him in just a minute. How many know who Saul is? Yeah. He'll become Paul real soon. As they stoned him, verse 59, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What's that show us? That he had the confidence to know that his soul was saved. Nobody could take that away from him. Verse 60, he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And then he died. Who else said that? Jesus at the cross. Father, don't hold this against these men. They're just doing their jobs. Stephen was emulating Jesus. You and I should do the same. Hallelujah. What I want you to see is how blind those religious leaders were. They ignored the voice of God as Stephen pled with them to listen. They were so bent on their own way that they decided the best way was to choose, they chose to kill the messenger. And that still happens today. Right up to the end, Stephen refused to condemn those who murdered him. And I have to wonder, because Saul was there, what do you think he thought about the words of that young man? Lord, don't hold this against them. I believe seeds had to have been planted there. Acts 8, 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. He was right in there, right with him. He may, have, he may not have thrown the stone. We don't know if he did or not, but he was right there saying, Get him, get him, get him. Now I have a subtitle in my Bible that actually says here, Persecution scatters the believers. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. I want you to get this part. God uses difficult situations to move His people. You know, sometimes we get so planted where we're at. And God's trying to move you. He gives you all the words. He, he has people speaking into your life and you just keep ignoring them. 
Well, eventually, he's going to do something drastic, which is what happened here. Listen to this. If we get stuck inside our church building, which many people have, we could see the Lord illuminate the building just to get us to move. I believe that's a warning for all of us today. Where should we be? Out there. Taking the Gospel to the people. This is the feeding time. Alright? This is where you get filled up. But you need to take it out there now. And use it for God's glory. What I want you to see with Paul is that he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was serving the right religion. When in actuality, he was opposing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He was doing everything wrong. You know, we see this with Muslim extremists. We see it with cults. We see it with Christian churches sometimes. They think they're doing everything right when in actuality they're opposing the righteous one. Going back to what I said when I started, be careful how you judge. Is there fruit? Look for that fruit. Amen. God bless you. Our only real test as to whether what we're doing is right or wrong is to weigh it by Scripture. That's the only true test. Anything else will fall short. Is what we're doing approved of in the gospel? And if it is, keep doing it until Jesus comes back. If it isn't, stop it. Get those God eyes on people. Right? Acts 8 4. The believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus everywhere they went. So, this is what I was talking about. God had to scatter the church. And it worked. The Lord uses hardship to move His people. The Bible says that Philip went into Samaria and he performed many miracles. And as he preached, many came to Christ. Many were converted. There were so many, there was so much commotion that, that the early church sent Peter and John to go over and to say, Hey, all you guys who just got converted, I want to help you be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they started praying for people, laying hands on them, and they were getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And Acts 8.40, jumping down, it says, Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. I'm just trying to point out that sometimes when God makes things difficult, it's for a reason. It's so that we'll get moving in the direction He wants us to go. And as a result, many people were saved, many were truly hungry for the things of God and what the apostles had to give them. There are many out here that need to hear that are hungry for the gospel that you carry with you. Your very testimony proves that God is real because He saved you, a sinner, and He gave you a new name. And someday He's going to give you a new body, a glorified body that's going to be like Superman. 
and more. I can't wait because I'm tired of this body dragging me down. Every day, it's the same thing. I wake up and it all begins. But it begins. But if I woke up in heaven, that'd be even better. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Acts 9, I'm, I'm going to put this up behind me. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. I talked about that last week. That's what they called Christians. They were followers of the way. He found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. He wanted to show them off like a trophy. Look, I got these bad guys. How many think Saul was a little zealous for what he was doing? Let me just say this. Damascus was over 200 miles away on a good horse. How long would it take to get there? A long time. And yet he was willing to do that so he could catch these rascals of the way. <coughs> Excuse me. This man was consumed with annihilating the followers of Christ. But God had another plan. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Anybody uh, freaked out about that? If that happened to you? Maybe, a little bit. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat. How many might think, uh-oh, I'm in a little deep doo-doo at this point, right? First, you see the blinding light, Then your kids are going to get some of this today. Be sure and talk to them about this. And then, Saul, what are you trying to do to me? And he's like, who are you? <laughs> I'm the Lord, Jesus. Uh-oh. And all of a sudden, you have flashbacks to everything you've done and all the evil and stoning that young man, Stephen. And what's he do next? He goes with those men. And they take him into Damascus where he remained blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Wow. We may judge him. We probably would. We would have if we'd been there. We probably would have said, oh, you scoundrel. You deserve prison. You deserve to be locked up forever the way you treated us. 
not Jesus. I don't necessarily understand His grace. I don't understand His mercy, but He showed it to this man Saul. To this murderer. It isn't up to us to judge a man's heart. That's up to the Lord. And the Lord had a plan for Saul. A plan to forgive him and give him a fresh start. And we'll talk about that in two weeks. Eyes that would see what the Lord's plan had been all along were given to this man eventually. Listen to this part. Enter our third Bible character. And I'm going to move along quickly because I'm a little over. Acts 9, 10 through 19. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias calling out, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. So here we, we see Ananias with God eyes being able to see this man, Saul, who God wants him to go and have this spiritual encounter with him. <laughs> Listen to what he says, verse 13. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. If God tells you to do something like this, what are you going to do? Yes, sir. And, and apparently that's what he did. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me to you so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and he regained his strength. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. Sometimes we think that we understand enough about a person to judge him or her, but then the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and shows us how he sees that person. Would you stand with me as we finish up today? God wants all of us to have these fresh eyes. You know, if, if you're born into this world in the natural realm and you've never met Jesus, today is the day. Today is your day. God wants to give you something that you yearn for. He wants you to see how He sees things. Listen, He sees you different than everybody else. Most of us here, if God were to look at us, what would, he, what would we say about each other? If, if, if we were to judge ourselves or somebody in this room, what would we say about that person? Oh, oh you, know what, you know what Mac did to me the other day? You remember that? Yeah. I was so, I was so upset, really. But that's not how God looks at us. He looks at us with forgiveness and mercy and grace. All of that extended to us. He says, you know what? If you'll change, if you'll allow me to change you. And how do you do that? 
by confessing your sins, right? If you allow me to change you, I will give you my eyes. I will give you God's eyes. So you can everything you see will begin to make sense. What happens is we go through this life with natural eyes. We never see what God wants us to see. Therefore, we're always going, oh, is that it? Is that it? Is that it? Whereas if you'll allow God to give you his eyes, you'll begin to see as he sees and you'll go, wow, you're beautiful. Man, you're powerful. Wow, you got a heart as big as gold. Every time I see you, I think of the Father for some reason. That's how God sees us. And that's how he wants us to see each other. Not, oh, oh, Mary, why'd you have to say that to me last week? Instead, oh, Mary, you're awesome. Yeah, maybe she did say something to tick me off last week. That's between her and me. No, I'm just messing. But if she had, so what? What difference is it going to make, as Pastor Roger likes to say, what difference is it going to make in a hundred years? You remember a hundred years ago when Mary made Pastor Norm mad? God forgive us for the trivial infighting and jaw-breaking, gnashing the teeth. The only thing we should be doing is loving each other. And winning people into his kingdom. And we'll do that if we put God's eyes on. Would you pray this with me? This is a room full of prayer. Everybody, if you would. Heavenly Father, I'm here because I want you. I want to know about you. I want to be filled with you. I want to be changed. Lord, if I have sins unconfessed I confess them right now forgive me Lord in the name of Jesus and Lord if I've judged others more harshly than I should have I ask you to forgive me and help me to make it right with whoever I offended and Lord use me Give me your God eyes so that I can see things as you see them. I don't want to see them as I see them in the flesh. I want to see them as the Holy Spirit shows them to me. I want to see the richness in people. I want to see your love at work. Even in my enemies. Help me to forgive them. Pray for them. 
God, until you return, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fresh eyes. In Jesus' name. Sorry, I went over. I really feel it now because my wife's over there in the children's room. You went over 15 minutes. God, go with you. Keep you safe as you're coming and you're going. I believe next week is going to rock your boat. Fresh heart. So come on back if you're able. Lord bless you. Have a great week in Jesus. Be be safe out there too. I hear we have another storm on its way.